Super Talk Mississippi media production. Find your new ride at Kia McCombs all-new location at the corner of I-55 and Highway 98. Come find out why McComb loves Kia McComb at the corner of I-55 and Highway 98. Right on the corner, right on the price. Howdy, howdy, it's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. And welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host, Gerard Gibbert, along with Rhino in the Element Well Studios, guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music. What's going on there, Rhino? Howdy, howdy. Well, we are here, ready for a big day. There's so much stuff going on on the national scene and a lot of stuff going on here in the state of Mississippi as well. We're going to try to get to all of it. We've got Vivian O'Neill, Miss Mississippi 2023, in the Alamut Well Studios. I think she's going to be calling us. No, she's coming in the studios, pardon me, at 11.05. Looking forward to that. She'll, of course, discuss her platform for service and plans for the coming year. And then at 12.20, Rhonda McDaniel, chairwoman of the Republican National Committee, making a visit to Mississippi. She's going to be calling in. She'll talk about the GOP's Bank Your Vote program launched last week and share her insights on the coming 2024 election. Right around the corner. But first, we've got to get through the state elections here in 2023. We, um, man, sorry about Southern Miss. Yeah, I didn't get a whole lot of sleep last night. Gosh. And I didn't realize it until this morning when I was getting dressed, and I <laughs> put my shirt on, and then put my belt on without putting my pants on. <laughs> Man, uh, what a great run. Congratulations to the Golden Eagles, and of course, uh, to Coach Barry. I caught uh, some video, you probably saw it as well, as he bid farewell there on the field at Pete Taylor Park. He's just a class guy. And, of course, as we know from those who are closer to the program, such as Luke Johnson, of course, and Bob Getty, host of Super Talk Eagle Hour, and others, I mean, it's it's widely known, he is a developer of young men, not just a baseball coach. The good ones are. And their players go on to succeed in life, typically, no matter what they do, in no small part to the influence and the tutelage they received from their baseball coach, in this case, Coach Barry. So the Golden Eagles made Mississippi proud. You sort of felt like it was going to be tough, honestly. Tennessee has discovered baseball, shall we say, And they've got a powerful lineup, and it went to work last night, 
and they've got great talent on the Hill as well. But Southern Miss is a fantastic baseball team, and they did great, and we are proud of them. We are proud of them. So congratulations on all their success, and I hope Coach Barry has, uh, I know he will, a uh, an enjoyable retirement or whatever he chooses to do next. There's no telling. He's a man with uh, a lot of talent, and I'm sure he'll do well. Wow. So we got a lot of stuff going on in the country, of course, in the nation, on the nationwide scene. We got Trump. He's going to be in Miami today for, he's going to be in court. Historic arraignment at uh, at court in Miami. A lot of uh, interesting developments there, but the one that really caught my eye this morning, Vivek Ramaswamy. He's down in Miami. As far as I know, he's the only candidate that's like present. At the courthouse. And he spoke. Had everything set up for him to share his thoughts on the matter. And he has made a pledge. I mean, this is literally hot off the press, folks, within the last 30 minutes. Made a pledge that should he be elected president, he will pardon Donald Trump if he's convicted. And he sent a letter to every other candidate for president in both parties, in all parties, asking them to sign on to that commitment. And if they don't, explain why they're not. This will be interesting to see if he gets any response, any takers, any response. And he made the point, which you've got to respect him for. We need more that think like this. He said, look, sure, if Donald Trump were out of the race My candidacy, my campaign, my path to election is much easier. Sure, absolutely. When you take the front runner, not only the front runner in the primary on the Republican side, but polls show he's leading Democrat candidates as well, including what who seems to be at this point by default the Democrat nominee, and that would be Joe Biden and the incumbent. But he says, sure, that would be easier, but that's not consistent with the principles of democracy, of the founding of this country, where all candidates present their case, take their case to the voters. And Donald Trump should have that opportunity, and I've got to compete with him. I'm paraphrasing a bit, but that was the general gist of the message. And you just wonder if the other candidates feel the same. Are they cool with the fact that, okay, yeah, let's get Donald Trump out of there. That that makes it a lot easier for me. I don't have to focus on him. And perhaps more importantly, he won't be constantly targeting and attacking me as a candidate, at least. So that's interesting from... Vivek Ramaswamy. I I respect him for making those statements and that point and for um, committing to uh, to pardoning Donald Trump if he's elected. That's pretty strong when you think about your primary competition. You're, You're agreeing to pardon them 
if you're elected. For some reason, Rhino, I don't see Chris Christie, who doesn't care too much for Donald Trump. You see him signing on to that letter? No. <laughs> I don't either. You might see Tim Scott sign on to it. Maybe. Maybe Nikki Haley. That's about it. Yeah, I think you're right. That's kind of the way I pegged it. Mike Pence? So, no. so here's the other thing I saw. There was some some video of the crowd gathered around there, and there were some statements from I think the chief of police of Miami and the Dade County Sheriff's Department who have combined, I guess, their forces, their efforts just to protect and secure the area. And they said they don't expect anything. Of course, you know, unfortunately, th- this is how crazy and how just diabolical politics is in this country. I believe. The hardcore left in this country that does suffer from the so-called Trump derangement syndrome, they want an incident in Miami. I truly believe that, which would be bad for the country. You have a right to protest. You have a right to express your concerns to your government, which is why they're there. But you don't have a right to destroy property or hurt people or take their stuff. That's what they want to happen. They want it to escalate into some sort of notable incident. See, I told you, they're all crazy. That's what they want. They thrive on that crap. That's I hate it. I really do. You can tell I get passionate about it because it's, it's so disingenuous. Oh, we care. That's why. No, you don't. You want that to happen. You will you will get perverse pleasure from it, and you hope you get some sort of political gain from it. That's what you want. And there are folks on both sides of the argument here assembled, and I pray that some sort of altercation does not break out physically. I hope that doesn't happen. There's one interesting character. You've seen this guy that's dressed up in the typical prison stripes garb with the hat. And he's got he's got the sign, lock him up. <laughs> Borrowing from Trump's refrain of lock her up during the 2016 campaign against Hillary Clinton. He's got the lock, lock him up. Okay, so the other thing I saw is the big Trump Pence signs, Trump on the top, Pence below, blue background. You know what I'm talking about, big white block letters. Now there's signs out there with Trump, Pence, and the Pence is red lined. <laughs> you do see the creative stuff come out, don't you? <laughs> when we come back, we'll, we're going to talk some more about uh, the proceedings today in Miami. But we got the latest financial reports from the candidates here in Mississippi we want to pass on to you. And a state senator arrested for DUI last night. DUI. We're coming right back with more in the Element Well Studios. Please stay with us. Middays with Gerard What? What? This is so awesome. On Super Talk Mississippi. 
The great Joe Walsh bumping us into this segment here on Middays. We are once again in the Element Wealth Studios. Now, tomorrow we're going to be at Mississippi Blood Services in Flowood for World Blood Day. Donate to spend the prize wheel for a chance to win a $250 Visa card, plus donors get a meal voucher to Lloyd's Mobile Kitchen Food Truck on site that day. I remember that last year. It's pretty dang good. Might have to partake in some of that after the show, of course. So, um, I misspoke about the situation with a state senator, a state senator who was arrested for DUI. It happened on the 5th, but as Rhino pointed out on the break, it's just sort of now making its way into kind of the the main news sources. It was in Baldwin County, Alabama, Highway 98, going southbound near Foley. At 10 in the morning. Yeah, it's weird. Unusual time for a DUI, but yeah. it does happen around the clock. Yeah. You know, I, I don't want to jump to any conclusions here whatsoever, but if at 10 o'clock you tip the meter showing that you're driving under the influence, you do have to wonder about potential problems with alcohol, right? Well, yeah, well, that's one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is it was DUI with another substance. Ah, okay. So that does that. present the the presence of alcohol, but that doesn't answer, well, what's the other substance? Was it something that would make alcohol stronger in your system? I see. Or is it an illicit substance? Is it one of those where you look on the pill bottle and it says, do not take with alcohol? Okay. Gotcha. We don't have any other details at this point. No. I don't see much. The officers on the scene ran tests, and I think they're still waiting on the results of that test. Okay. Right now, by the way, the Dow Jones Industrials up over 200 points, right at the 200 mark. The NASDAQ running again, up 115. The S&P up as well. All indexes up. That's because this morning we got the latest inflation data. And it shows that inflation is tracking at a 4% clip. And that's an improvement. And that is down. It's not where the Fed likes to see it. The Fed kind of has as its goal 2% in its monetary policy making. I don't know if we're going to get to 2%. But... Now the prognosticators say there is a 100% chance that the Fed will pause this week as it discusses its next move in the interest rate category. But they expect that they will raise it by a quarter of a point in July. I don't really get it. I've heard all sorts of analysts uh, opine on this, and there's no consensus as to the the rationale of the Fed's approach here. Pause now, raise next one. Don't really know. Can't figure it out. It's like stalling the plane on a landing. Yeah, sort of is. Like, I, I it's wonder, not going to help it make it any softer. Exactly. And I wonder if they're starting to pay attention to market reactions. Like, well, the market expects us to pause, so we're going to pause. I don't know. I think the market's watching the Fed too much. And that's because the Fed, I think, just acts a little, I don't want to say recklessly, but 
maybe irresponsibly, I think I can fairly say that standing on this idea that this inflation is just transitory, won't be around here long, and sitting on their tails and not taking any action from a monetary policy perspective. It was pretty clear when Joe Biden enacted the $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan shortly after taking office in 2021, that that was going to fuel inflation. I mean, it's just Econ 101, dropping money out of helicopters all over the place. I also noted that consumer debt is at a record $988 billion. That's up 17% in a year. All sorts of organizations that track consumer purchasing habits, especially from a credit card use perspective, say that more and more consumers are buying groceries on credit cards, that they're buying the staples of life through the various buy now, pay later programs, Klarma, Affirm, there's several, PayPal and four. And that's an indication of how inflation is wrecking the household finances of Americans. Joe Biden says it ain't a thing, of course. And so because he's got millions flowing in from Burisma, but that's another story. <laughs> Ooh, that's looking bad, too. But I think we're headed for a trillion of consumer credit card debt. A trillion. And it's a double whammy because interest rates are up. So the carrying cost of that debt, of the credit on that plastic, it's up. So you're not only you're not only paying more. But you're paying more interest. You're having to you're having to use your credit card facilities to make ends meet in your households, but you're paying interest to do it. That ain't cool. Something that doesn't get discussed a lot. I have a friend who's in the consumer credit business. And I just made the point that, you know, I think inflation is a big cause of this, and he said it is, but he makes a point, and he's in this business, he studies this stuff that all that helicopter money, if you think about it, and the, un- the expanded unemployment benefits and the moratorium on student loan repayments and extended child care credits and all that junk, you know what happened is people sort of changed their lifestyle and started living beyond their means and enjoyed experiences and amenities that they really can't afford. And they changed those habits because they had this new tranche of money that the government was sending them. Now they're having a hard time returning to the their their standards, if you will, before all that helicopter money. That makes total sense. It's um it's a bit devious. But that's where Joe Biden goes to the country and says My father said, just a little relief there, Joe. I can't really imitate him, sorry. (laughs) It's because you're not 80 and senile. (laughs) I hope even when I'm 80, I'm not like that. I know it's quite possible. We're We're all subject to that. I pray. I really do. I thank the good Lord for good health, and I pray that 
I'm not in that situation, but I don't think I'll be in front of the world every day either as the president. And and that, honestly, I don't hang so much on him as I do those who persuaded him into it, who pushed him into it, for selfish reasons, because they're all freaking selfish at the end of the day. Totally bothers me. So we got a little sound here, Rhino. Do we got time for it? I think so. For Vivek Ramaswamy, this is it. We were just talking about this is as of about, what, an hour ago. We have sent this letter, and I'm happy to announce this is my commitment on January 20th, 2025, if I'm elected the next U.S. president, to pardon Donald J. Trump for these offenses in this federal case. And I have challenged, I have demanded that every other candidate in this race either sign this commitment to pardon on January 20th, 2025, or else to explain why they are not. The reason it's gonna be difficult for them is the same reason it's difficult for me. The donor class has been calling every Republican candidate and telling us to stay away from this not to touch it from a 10-foot pole, not to keep your distance away for Trump. That is what the donor class is telling us. That's what they're telling the other candidates. I refuse to abide by being a disciple of the donor class. So the bottom line is there are two things that matter. One is how are we going to hold the Biden Department of Justice accountable? The first answer is that yesterday I submitted a Freedom of Information Act request, a demand to the Biden Department of Justice, demanding what did Biden tell Jack Smith, what did Biden tell Merrick Garland, what did Merrick Garland tell Special Prosecutor Jack Smith? Bravo. So, Rhino, that that uh, continues the sound we played from him yesterday in the final segment with Dana Bash at CNN where he said, you guys ought to be more curious in asking these questions. So he's taking it upon himself. He's filed a FOIA request. I want to know what the discussion was all about. I applaud him for this. This is the way it ought to, ought to work. He's a man of action. We're coming right back in the Element Well Studios. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Back in the Element Well Studios, it's midday, Super Talk, Mississippi. Tim and McGee on the ceasefire tax line, by the way, that's 601-879-4395. If you'd like to join the conversation, I would bet George Soros will have people there to make some type of incident happen dressed up as Trump supporters. Hmm, I have to think about that one, Tim. I, I don't know. I mean, it's it's a plausible theory. Not even theory. George Soros anymore. Yeah, it's his son, right? He's passed he's, it all down to his son, who's is a left wing wacko like he is. Uh, we'll see. I, I just hope nothing happens. I don't want to see any incident happen. 
uh, whatsoever. You never want to see that. Fully support the right of Americans to peacefully protest, but not to engage in any sort of violence, property destruction, etc. No. And, and it, you know, it's another example of the double standard, the two-tiered system of justice, if you think about it, in this country. We allowed destructive, violent protests to occur in the wake of the George Floyd incident. I mean, they basically went to the streets to burn down American cities, destroy property. And the left sort of sanctioned it, condoned it, supported it. Oh, it's for a good cause. Can never forget the CNN Chiron mostly peaceful protest while the dude's <laughs> standing in front of a burning building. <laughs> I mean, it was a blaze, too. It wasn't just a small fire. It was a big one. Yeah, it's such a double standard, if you, if you think about it. Are all the medical experts not even giving a second thought to all these people gathered together when you couldn't have more than ten people at a funeral? That's true. Go to church. The one I remember is them just melting down because DeSantis was opening up the beaches. And then subsequent to that, we learned that the half-life of the coronavirus and sunshine is like a split of a split of a second, or so, right? Or something like that. <laughs> Oh, yeah, the snarky lawyer with his death costume standing at the beach. <laughs> That's right. Oh, gosh. They just, they love the drama like that, no doubt. Because it's, it's all they have. They lead <laughs> meaningless, worthless lives. No doubt. Would you believe, says Paula Meridian, that Joe Biden's energy policies have had a direct effect on the global economy and inflation? I believe it has. Yeah, in fact, we've said that numerous times, Paul that uh, the very first thing that should be done, in my view, from an economic policy perspective, is unleash the American energy industry. And while there's no... I mean, there's some specific policies and regulations he's implemented. It's the rhetoric. It's the, look, we're putting you out of business. We don't want to use your product anymore, oil and gas companies. But, hey, please go out there and boost supply so we can bring the price down at the pump. Because it hurt, hurts me in the polls. I mean, it's, it's such hypocrisy. So when you got leaders of these major oil companies, American oil companies, saying we're never building another refinery. Never. And so I, I agree with you, Paul. That's uh, certainly a big part of it. The price of energy is embedded in virtually every product and service we consume. we got to have it. Just changing the stance, the messaging that we're going to get out of your way. We realize we got to have your stuff, your product, for a long time. Please go produce some more. But as we've said before on the program, from a business perspective, faith, confidence, and certainty drive investment, hiring, and expansion. How could you be the CEO of a large oil company and have faith, confidence, and certainty that your product is viable, is welcome. Now you got all these big investment houses, wealth managers, BlackRock and the like, even states, 
who are making investment decisions, financing decisions, funding decisions, capital decisions, based on the nature of the product. If it's on not on their checklist, as as um, is consistent with their ESG objectives, then they're not going to help you financially. That's insane. It's just another issue that I think the country is deeply divided on. So I, I agree, Paul. We need to unleash the American energy sector. Now, that doesn't mean we should discontinue development of alternative sources of energy, of electric vehicles and the like. Sure. It was funny watching France and Germany have a argument about nuclear. Yeah, to give us the details on that. So Germany is upset that France continues to build nuclear plants and is demanding that they stop because it's not good for the environment. <laughs> and France said, "Not only no, but hell no." Yeah, because they can't they can't meet their needs cost effectively without it. That's why. I believe the exact quote was, we will not give up our competitive advantage. Okay, there you go. Because France leads the world in the capability of building nuclear reactors. And are we they... have ceded that to the cravat-wearing frogs. Yep. And are they not, to a great extent, reliant on Russian energy? I believe they are. And they're seeing the turmoil there. Who the heck wants to be beholden to them? There's always a lot of talk about energy independence. You hear that those words a lot, those terms a lot. And when you dig underneath the covers and drill down into what exactly does that mean, I think the average person thinks we produce all the, the, the raw um, energy that comes out of the ground in the form of oil and gas, and then we refine it all in our country, within our borders, and then we consume. And as long as the amount we we um, we extract and produce into usable finished format equals or exceeds the amount we consume, we're energy independent. The unfortunate reality is we don't have the refining capacity in this country to refine all the oil that we actually pull out of the ground. We send it abroad to be refined by refineries that can handle that grade of crude oil. And vice versa. They send, other countries send their grades of crude oil into this country for refining, refining by refineries that have the ability to process those grades. You got the dirty oil and the sweet oil, I don't remember the categories, how they define it. But when you dig into the details of that, it's kind of fascinating. But energy independence is defined as you at least produce enough of the raw material, in this case the crude oil, the natural gas, from within your borders to service your daily consumption. And we were at that point in the Trump administration, but it doesn't mean that all of it was being refined and produced and and uh, sent to the market, made available to the market for consumption without ever leaving the borders. That's not the case. It just means we at least produced enough in raw format, unrefined, unusable format, 
to service our, our daily needs. But since Joe Biden's been in office, we don't do that anymore. We fall short of that figure. And that's because, like we said, the oil and gas companies, they're not too fired up about producing more when they know they have a government that wants them out of business. It's insane. By the way, remember the the parody video we played about a year ago? Secretary of the Energy, Jennifer Granholm. Well, it wasn't parody to them. They were dead serious. <laughs> You're right it was about so that. stupid, it was laughable. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, what was it? Leave that gasoline in the ground or something? Yep. <laughs> something to that effect. It was a 2018 uh, video, and it was dubbed Fossil Fools. Remember that? F-O-O-L-S. It was what the kids are calling cringe. <laughs> yeah, you're right. And it was all about ending the use of gasoline. Gasoline, gasoline, stay in the ground or some crap like that. Well, the reason I'm bringing this up is because Miss Granholm... You've seen this? She's been found lying about her financial affairs. Imagine that. She said <laughs> she said that she had sold uh, some specific equity holdings, testified to that effect, but it turns out, oh, she didn't. Can you believe that? She lied. Who'd have thunk it? <laughs> she lied about her dang, um, and it's Josh Holly. That, that uh, sort of caught her lying about that. It was all about her family stock holdings. Um, <laughs> he just didn't tell the truth, and she knew she was lying. False testimony, and now she's admitted it. But she's the same one that wants to leave that gasoline in the ground. <laughs> We're coming right back with more at 11.05. It's the Vivian O'Neill, Miss Mississippi 2023. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. All right, we are back on Super Talk Mississippi. Middays, everyone. Super Talk Mississippi. Miss Mississippi 2023. Vivian O'Neill. After the break at the top of the hour and then in the third hour of the program today at 1220, Ronna McDaniel, chairwoman of the Republican National Committee. Looking forward to those conversations. So we do have the latest uh, financial reports from the candidates in Mississippi in the governor's race, the focus there, of course, is on incumbent Republican Governor Tate Reeves. He leads all candidates with $9.4 million cash on hand. That's after he spent a million on a media ad buy. This is the one that I guess sort of scratched my head on a little bit. And that was the report from the Democrat candidate, current Northern District Public Service Commissioner Brandon Presley. He raised about three hundred and fifty five grand in May 
So I received his press release on that, and it said that 88% of his contributions were less than $200. I couldn't get the math to work on that one. And when you look at his report, roughly 17% of his contributions were non-itemized, meaning they were less than $200. So the math doesn't work. It's a problem. Now, I don't know why that matters, honestly. I don't really care. I know what a lot of people think. It just means oh, that, that was a tactic championed by Bernie back in the day. Oh, that he had all these small donors. Oh, yeah. Grassroots. Who cares, honestly? Does that matter? Not to me. It might matter to other people considering making a donation. I'm more concerned about the candidate's qualifications. That doesn't qualify you. Now, on the other hand, Vivek Ramaswamy, we just played video from him. He's live down there at the courthouse in Miami. As far as I know, Rhino, he's the only candidate other than... Donald Trump himself, that's in Miami, on scene, on site, at the courthouse. And he has a press conference, and he had, shows up a letter. You, you heard the sound we played, and Rhino, you can attest to this. He's holding up that letter. It's a single-page letter where he's, he's imploring the other candidates. He's challenging them, essentially. Will you sign this letter where I commit to pardon Donald Trump if he's convicted. And if you don't, will you explain why you won't sign it? Well, he's down there, and I'm talking about him because the rules for debate, making the debate stage this year, um, debates, of course, conducted by the party, the Republican National Committee, require 40,000 individual contributions. He's already eclipsed that, meaning he is... He's, he's met the threshold to qualify to debate, which is, I think is pretty cool. So also, let's see, we've got um, John Witcher, a candidate for governor in Mississippi as a Republican. He raised 36000 during this period. He has cash on hand of $40,000. Brandon Presley's total amount on hand is $1.7 million. Then you've got the very contentious primary race featuring incumbent Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman and Senator Chris McDaniel. Shane Quick was a candidate, has dropped out. Tiffany Longino, also a candidate, still in the race. Lieutenant Governor Hoseman raised 958000 this past period. He has cash on hand of $3.7 million. Chris McDaniel raised 107,000 has cash of 386,000. So at this point, the incumbent Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman has roughly 10x of what Chris McDaniel has. And then there is uh, Tiffany Longino, also a candidate. She says she reported that she raised $790 uh, for the period. And those are the marquee races, honestly. Uh, at the top of the ticket there, the governor and lieutenant governor. And we'll be tracking all this stuff. Should be fun. I have seen uh, assertions, primarily from the McDaniel camp, 
about the lieutenant governor, and I've also seen the lieutenant governor speak probably four or five times at just various political events. And, and I've seen the senator speak as well. I've heard their, their speeches, their remarks, their message. We might get into that a little bit before the day is out. I've got some thoughts about that. But right now it's time for a break, and that means we got Fox News and Super Talk News. That's because it's top of the hour. When we return, it's Vivian O'Neill, Miss Mississippi 2023. To the show that challenges you to think deeply, to think deeply and look beyond political posturing. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone. It's hour two of middays. We are in the Element Well Studios, and we welcome Vivian O'Neill, Miss Mississippi 2023. Vivian, thanks for coming in today. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. All right. Have you uh, kind of gotten your head wrapped around what just happened? You've been crowned Miss Mississippi. It's so cool. Yeah, yeah. Not quite yet. I've gotten a lot of questions. Oh, how, how are you feeling? How are you feeling? And honestly, I'm not really sure. <laughs> it's been a whirlwind. I turned around. Uh, we had an after party after I was crowned, and I didn't get to bed until the wee hours of the morning. Got up at 6 a.m. the next day and just been going since then. So it's been a whirlwind. Maybe when I get a second to slow down, it'll finally set in. But as of right now it still feels surreal well congratulations no doubt Thank all right you. so fifth time is that right yes number five all right so tell us how you came to this conclusion i'm going to try it one more time yeah you know it, it was a combination of things i i've been involved in this organization for a really long time and last year i had decided you know what i'm going to be done it's time to move on start my career all of those different things and there were so many different areas of my life where things had fallen into place that just pointed to competing again. And I just felt a really strong uh, tug on my heart to come back and compete one more time. And thank goodness I did, because uh, last time I was sitting in this chair, I had a local title and now I got a promotion and I miss Mississippi and I couldn't be more thankful for that. Yeah, that's pretty neat. So you're a, were a student at USM, Southern Miss. Mm-hmm. You just... Uh, obtain your master's degree. Is that correct? I did. I did. Two-time graduate from Southern Miss. Okay. And your major? I have a BA in public relations, but I got my master's in higher education administration. Okay. And so you got any thoughts about a career at this point? What you want to do? Yeah, you, you know, the dream, the dream is so my community service initiative, which is part of the Miss America organization, is called Capable, and it's a nonprofit. And so the dream, the dream uh, would be to have that be my full-time job and continue uh, public speaking and advocating for students with disabilities and talking about disability inclusion. So any way that I can make that my full-time position, that's kind of what I'm shooting for right now. Okay. So tell us more about this, uh, the capable. Yeah. So yeah, tell us about that, yeah, your cap- mission. 
Of course. Um, so Capable is a nonprofit organization that provides disability inclusion resources to educators. Uh, the first program is a kindergarten through third grade disability inclusion curriculum. Uh, that one had so much success. I, I had um, some people reach out to me about writing a second one. So I wrote a second one with a STEM focus for fourth through sixth graders, uh, expanded that into a children's book series to go along as a, as a companion children's book to the curriculum. And then I began my career in higher education at that point and really wanted to marry those two passions. So I partnered with the Mississippi Community College Board and developed a disability inclusion seminar that essentially takes the same lessons from that curriculum, but does so in a way that is applicable to college age students. And I've been giving that presentation around. So it's kind of a collection of different things, but the overall mission is to bridge the gap between students with disabilities and students without. Anything in your background that served as a catalyst for you pursuing this? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm the daughter of educators and the sister to a child with a disability. So I had a very unique lens through which I viewed students with disabilities. And I kind of had an inside look on some of the struggles and the disparities within the public school system that those students face through my my little brother's experience, who has a very rare form of muscular dystrophy called nimaline myopathy. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's amazing. Uh, all right. So where do you go from here? What's so what does your schedule look like? Or do you know your schedule at this point? <laughs> I know a little bit of my schedule. I know about the next week or so. Yeah. Uh, but right now it's, you know, this is a full time job. So I'm just in that onboarding process and getting a, getting adjusted to everything and getting settled in everything and figuring out my schedule and my role and um, continuing again to, to work with my social impact initiative to um, visit some sponsors and thank them for their support of our wonderful organization. Um, just getting settled in and then going to start prepping for Miss America soon. Yeah, sure. Now, do you have uh, some coaches that help you? I do. So um, the Miss Mississippi Board of Directors has an incredible prep team that helps uh, prepare me for Miss America. What about the other contestants? Did you develop any uh, newly formed relationships with any of them as a result of being in the pageant? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. It, you know, it's always like a sorority of sorts. You know, we're we're together 24 hours a day, seven days a week um, for for this Miss Mississippi week. And uh, so I've formed some incredibly special bonds there. there. There is a very special bond with somebody that that you have that goes through an experience like Miss Mississippi. There truly is nothing like that week. So I definitely formed some incredible lifelong friendships. What about the former Miss Mississippi? Yeah. So- the relationship there? Yeah, absolutely. So Emmy Perkins is actually a Hattiesburg native as well, yeah. and I'm from Hattiesburg. Yeah. So um, I've known Emmy for a long time, and there are several girls in there that I've, I've known for a really long time. Mary Margaret Hire is a former yeah. Miss Mississippi, and she's from Hattiesburg as well. And all three of us were involved in show choir in some way whenever we were in high school. So a lot of commonalities there. Yeah. All right, so when is the Miss America pageant? I don't have an exact date yet, but I know it's going to be in January. So okay. that's what we're looking to. Okay. And where's that held now? It again. I don't have an exact location, okay. but I think it's going to be held in Florida. That's okay. what we're thinking. Yeah, and certainly you'll be forging relationships with uh, the others who represent their respective states. I mean, mm-hmm. there's got to be some, a, a really unique bond that's built there because mm-hmm. uh, it's pretty rare. Not too many people yeah. earn this uh, and are blessed with this distinction. Mm-hmm. That's really something. Yeah, absolutely. I am the 90th Miss Mississippi. We celebrated the 65th anniversary of the crowning in Vicksburg specifically, um, but I'm the 90th Miss Mississippi. So less than 100 women have worn this crown, and uh, I'm really excited to uh, meet all of the women from from, uh, across the United States, uh, hopefully here pretty soon. Yeah. And the Miss Mississippi organization is considered one of the strongest in the country. It is. Mm -hmm. It's really good people that are dedicated 
mm-hmm. to the pageant and mm-hmm. do a fantastic job. I mean, I've just heard that anecdotally from so many people mm-hmm. that really rave about the quality of the organization itself. Mm-hmm. Well, anybody that can come in and is not a quote-unquote pageant person yeah. uh, and can watch the show and appreciate the production value of it, I think that speaks volumes um, about about that. We have an incredible board of directors, yeah. staff, volunteers that just pour into these women in, in more ways than one. And it's not just about zipping up the dresses backstage, but, I mean, these people are, are mentors, they're encouragers. It's an incredibly stressful and emotional week. And so to have those individuals behind us during that week, but but not just that. There there are people that you know we're Facebook friends afterwards, or get phone numbers and and keep up with each other throughout the years. And it's just an incredible support system. the The production quality is is incredible, and um, the sponsors across the state that support Miss Mississippi and support our organization. We we truly could not um, do the job without them. And then that's not even to to touch on the scholarship dollars, which is life changing and has been for me. Yeah. All right, so I'm going to ask you a bit of an open-ended question, but just thinking out into the future. So you meet some of your counterparts that represent the other states, assuming for the first time Mm -hmm. at the Miss America pageant. And they ask you, hey, what's Mississippi like? Yeah. They've never been here because you know you're likely to to meet some folks that that haven't been here. And there is, you know, a lot of misconceptions about our great state. So what Mm -hmm. do you tell them? Well, first and foremost, I would tell them about the food. I tell them they're probably not going to eat anything better than if they come down here. So we have uh, different seasons that are not just, you know, fall, winter, spring, and summer. We've got crawfish season. We've got yeah. Mardi Gras season. Yeah. Yeah, it's a very so diverse culture with a, a, a diverse uh, fare of food as well. It is. It is. So uh, that that would probably be my number one is okay. I would probably want to take them to eat somewhere. <laughs> Selfishly, I'd want to take them to a Southern Miss football game. Uh, okay. I was on the dance team when I was in college. Yeah. Big Southern Miss girl, obviously. Um, but also, I, I think one thing that goes uh, unnoticed is the industry that we have here. I mean, we've got Ingalls Shipbuilding in Pascagoula. Yeah. We have got Camp Shelby. We've got the Stennis Space Center. And I, I just think that's something that, you know, we don't get to talk about as much. We don't brag about that as much. And so that's definitely something that I would want to talk about as well. Once and, we get out of the fun stuff, we'll get to the more serious. Yeah, and, and <laughs> great workers who yeah. work in the business Absolutely. in Mississippi as well. Absolutely. So... So public relations, you told me before we went on the air, you spent a little time in Washington, right? I did. I did. Yeah. yeah. Right out of right out of undergrad, I was offered a position. Funnily enough, I had applied prior to uh, COVID really, really happening. And I waited a long time. I didn't even think they were going to interview me for the position. And then finally, I, I heard back from somebody. And in the span of time that I accepted the job and actually started the job, it was about three weeks because okay. I did not think they were going to offer me the job. So I was not prepared, <laughs> but they offered it to me. I packed up found an apartment and moved and started the position in a span of three weeks. It was the craziest thing I've ever done, but I'm very, very thankful for that experience. Did did you draw anything from that experience that, that helped you in your pageant? work oh gosh yeah i mean i you know i spent the first hour of every work day reading in-depth news and and in in every area we had state and uh national and all those things and that helped me in the interview part exponentially and getting comfortable public speaking and talking to to public figures and that definitely helped so much in in this competition well, Vivian, we appreciate you coming on. You are a fantastic ambassador for the great state of Mississippi, and, and we wish you all the luck in the world. I want to see you be crowned Miss America. 
Me too. All, all of Mississippi will be pulling for you, and I am quite sure that you're going to be very successful at whatever you do. Thanks for coming on. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Vivian O'Neill, Miss Mississippi 2023, has been our guest on Middays. We're stepping aside. Don't forget Ronna McDaniel, chairwoman of the Republican National Committee at 1220. We're coming right back. Talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Now, now, on to the real part. Dynamite! On Super Talk Mississippi. Back in the Element Well Studios, we certainly appreciate Miss Mississippi 2023, Vivian O'Neill, for joining us in the uh, studios this morning. She seems like a delightful young lady, and I am quite sure she's going to represent Mississippi well in the Miss America pageant, and that she will indeed succeed at whatever endeavor she chooses to pursue. No doubt about that. But, uh, Rhino, I'm hearing lots of thunder out there. You could probably hear it uh, on the broadcast, right? A big old patch of rain headed this way, sort of blanketing central part of the state, the central one-third, if you will, is what I'm seeing right now on the radar. Is that what you see? Yeah, and it looks like it's just going to continue. I mean, there's a little bit in north Mississippi that has moved its way across earlier this morning and probably still a little bit up there but yeah it looks like the biggest chunk of the storms are going to be hitting central mississippi a little bit of a risk for severe weather not haven't gotten into the reds or the pinks which are the really scary colors but we are in the yellows and oranges right that's what i'm seeing as well crossing over the river there uh looks like it's really pounding the Monroe area, and then as it crosses into the uh, into the state of Mississippi around the Lake Providence area along the border there in the river, I see some red stuff. But we need some rain. It's been kind of dry, unusually, so we need some rain. So we're yeah. The National Weather Service is saying there's a pretty high probability for strong wind gusts and a moderate probability for up to ping-pong ball-sized hail. Wow. Ping-pong ball. That's big. We had a little at my house this past Saturday. You know, we had some rather rough thunderstorms move through the area, and it did some serious damage uh, in Madison, Mississippi, just to the east of uh, my neighborhood in Ridgeland, Strawberry Patch Park there on Old Canton Road right across the street from Madison Ridgeland Academy, those in the central Mississippi area who are familiar with that, some really big oak trees downed. I attend church not far from there and took that route, uh, headed back, and noticed that Strawberry Patch Park is closed indefinitely as a result of the damage. Two huge oak trees on the ground. Sad to see that. And... Lots of crews out working on power lines, and there was a fair amount of power loss in Madison and in Gluckstadt as well. 
and I saw the crews out restoring service and tree debris all over the place. And you're going to see more of it because the trees are all full of, of leaves. So the tree debris is not just limbs, it's limbs with a bunch of leaves on it. I know the parking lot at uh, my church was absolutely covered with tree limbs with leaves on them. Fortunately, no damage to the structure, and I'm not aware of any any injuries or the like. That I didn't hear anything as a result. Of, yeah, there of the were storm. a couple of houses that sustained damage from trees falling, but okay. uh, thankfully no injuries reported. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, Good. there were some pretty gusty straight line winds. I want to say it topped out around 60 or 70 miles an hour. Wow. Which when you got a tree full of leaves, that can rip a pretty big limb off. Yeah. Exactly. And that's what we had. But I was going to say, also had had um, sort of pea-sized hail at my house. And took a couple photos of that. It was sitting on some outdoor furniture, uh, uh, colored brown, and you could easily see the pea-sized hail sitting on the seat, resting on the seat of the furniture. By the way, you know, we just got through talking about the situation down there in Miami where I was certainly calling for there to be no sort of violence and no sort of physical altercation. Authorities just gave an all-clear after investigating a suspicious package near the courthouse. Jeez. Police allow the media to return to the area after the threat was dealt with. The suspicious package turned out to be a television. (laughs) How was it suspicious? What's that all about? The Miami police... Well, in the post-9-11 world, anything left by itself without somebody nearby instantly becomes a suspicious package. That's absolutely true, as as uh, does a vehicle parked at an airport there where the drop-off point is, the baggage claim and so forth. You can't do that, and they're, they're quick to run you out of there if uh, and, and sort of surround your vehicle if there ain't nobody in it. And I get it, because you worry about some nut pulling up to the airport with a car full of explosives. I mean, I get it, but it feels like some of the enforcement of some of these rules at airports is just a little over the top. Like, okay, if you're traveling by yourself and you leave your backpack in the seat you've been sitting in for two hours while you're waiting on a layover to go... Throw something in the trash can. It's not even like you're leaving to go to the bathroom. You're literally walking 10 feet to throw something in the trash can. You run the risk of having security pull you to the side and go, what is this? What are you doing? It does seem to be a little overreactive. I I agree. But as soon as you don't, then some nut does it, and then all hell breaks loose on the authorities because they didn't react, you know, didn't take action. It's a tough one. Police, uh, the Miami police, initially responded to the suspicious object. That's in quotes. That's how they described it this morning. And it turns out that it was a television. But I don't understand why that's a television that's just left there that's unattended. That seems weird, too. But that's where we are. And apparently there have been some other little scuffles between folks there, but nothing that I've seen that would rise to the level of being super serious. I haven't seen anything like that at this point. 
Uh, you know, these Barisma audio tapes present a bit of a problem for the current president. Senator Chuck Grassley at the podium yesterday in the Senate, he says there are 17 recordings of calls with Biden's discuss the Bidens discussing these uh, improper payments, these pay-to-play inducements, financial inducements. This really is ridiculous," said uh, Crassley. Said the Burisma executive who paid Joe Biden allegedly and Hunter Biden allegedly kept 17 audio recordings of conversations with the two of them. Wow. Insurance. Yep, that's exactly right. And that's how he described it. Supposedly 15 of them are conversations with Hunter, and two of them are with, at the time, VP Biden. You know, I believe in letting the system work as designed. But just from an opinion perspective, because this is an opinion show, I think the guy's guilty of sin. I think Hunter and Joe accepted these bribes, enriched themselves and their family. The media is mum about it. The race lady over there at MSNBC and Rachel Maddow, they're celebrating the Trump indictments and hoping that he backs out of the race. That's what they want. And they're so foolish. It's such a gross miscalculation of human nature on their part. Do you not see this guy's personality? All you're doing is energizing him and his base, you fools. His poll numbers, by the way, have gone up since the indictment. You've you've sort of transformed him into a modern-day martyr. And I do think this, though, Rhino, if, if, the, if our government would pursue with the same sort of zest and vigor and conviction these Burisma bribes, I think people would maybe change just a little bit on the Donald Trump deal. It's, it's, it's just more, there's more focus on the unequal application of the law than any laws that were actually broken. Because the typical response you get from anybody about the Trump indictment is, what about Hillary Clinton, Joe Biden? And there's a list of some others as well. I agree. That's inconsistent application of the law. If you broke the law, you ought to pay for it. I don't care who you are. So when I hear this crap out of the Democrats, nobody's above the law, well, except for Democrats. (laughs) That's what's so laughable about such comments. If nobody's above the Hillary's law... Hillary's selling merch celebrating that she's above the law. <laughs> That's exactly right. What did you say? She had the hat on. It's a black hat with... But her emails. <laughs> Golly. Oh, it's, it's just so maddening. It just grates on you. No doubt about that. We're taking a break right here on Middays. We're in the Element Well Studios. At 1220, don't forget, it's Ronna McDaniel, chairwoman of the Republican National Committee. Much more to talk about. We're coming right back. Middays 
with Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk Mississippi. in the Element Well Studios. It's midday, Super Talk Mississippi. I hear that rain a-pounding outside. You check it out? I know you went out for a minute. It looks like it's raining pretty hard oh, yeah. at the studio. But we did have some reports on the ceasefire text line that uh, they're not experiencing the precipitation we are here. Somebody said, who was it, that's not uh, raining in, uh, yeah, Paul and Hernando, clear in Hernando. Yeah, that's kind of what it looks like. It's uh, sort of an area of rain that's blanketing the central part of the state as it moves across the river from Louisiana. So be careful out there, folks. It could uh, get a little, what would you say, a little, some hail, possibly. Yeah, there's a probability of hail. I'm looking at the forecast model for rainfall amounts over the next week or so, and... The Golden Triangle appears to be in for a deluge between now and next week. Wow. Interesting. Five inches in some parts? Wow. That's a bunch. So we go from drought to five inches. Drought to monsoon. Oh, my gosh, don't tell the climate change nuts that. <laughs> Everything's climate change. It's true. I mean, it's, they attribute it. It's either climate change or racism. Now I guess it's gender ideology. Speaking of which, what's up with the White House over the weekend? You see, well, the, they're just returning decency to the White House. Oh, remember? okay. You mean like transgenders running around topless on the White House lawn? I don't know if you saw this, folks. They literally have converted the people's house to a pornographic show. It's true. You may have seen the video of the, I guess you could call it celebration. They certainly do. And they're ecstatic because they are running the place, literally. Running around and there's some TikTok video of some, what's her name, transgender, his, her, I don't even know, transgender spokesperson, Ramona or something. Something like that. And Biden, you see this, was trying to take a selfie and couldn't figure out how to get the vote photo button to work to turn the, the camera to photo, still photo mode, and was on video. <laughs> couldn't figure it out. Trying to take a selfie with this. I think it's a male that transferred to a female, transitioned. Do I have that right or do I have it backwards? I can't even keep up anymore. I don't know. But Biden was taking a picture, and so they literally just released a statement, did the White House. Yeah, Rose Montoya for going topless at President Biden's Pride Month event on Saturday. I'm telling you, during the break they released this statement, they were featured in a video Posted so Montoya is a trans model. I think it's a male that 
considers themselves to be a female now. It's like 6'5 or something. And this is what the White House said. This behavior is inappropriate and disrespectful for any event at the White House. It is not reflective of the event we hosted to celebrate LGBTQ plus IA families or the other hundreds of guests who were in attendance. Individuals in the video will not be invited to future events. <laughs> Montoya, a TikTok influencer and, bi- I told you, biological male who is transgender, posted the video from Saturday's event. It shows Montoya and another unnamed transgender activist, a biological female, Bearing their breasts on the South Lawn with the White House in view. <laughs> unbelievable. It's unbelievable. So here's the deal, Joe. They did this because you gave them a pass. You're encouraging this crap. You're condoning it. You're supporting it. You're sanctioning it. And you know what? You're condemning everybody who disagrees. This is because of you. Don't they get that? Well, in fairness, it don't take a whole lot of prodding to get a pride event to turn that way. That's what they you know, they they uh, they relish that stuff, no doubt. But that's what happens. When's there going to be a white heterosexual male event at the White House? When's that coming? You see the problem with this? You picked out one group, one small group. And once again, I just for the record, I don't care what the hell they do. Mont Rose Montoya, you want to butcher your body that way? You want to call yourself a female? Knock yourself out. You're an adult. I don't care. But you shouldn't get special treatment at the White House, as Joe described, the people's house. You don't represent the people. It's not very diverse. I thought we were all about diversity and inclusion. You excluded. It's it's so hypocritical. You can't wrap your head around the degree of the hypocrisy, the double standard. This is because of you, Joe, and your party. You made this happen. And I'll make this statement kind of related to politics. You don't like Donald Trump? You created him. Honestly, both parties, to a great extent, did. He's a product of their failures. The Democrat Party created Donald Trump. He became president because of you, and to some extent, because of deaf Republicans. They weren't getting it done. Republicans said, we're tired of the same old crap. We want a disruptor. So here's a guy who's never held office, becomes president. They both created him. You don't like him? Look in the mirror. If you'd have just acted right, governed with principle, listened to the people, your constituents, maybe you wouldn't have this guy to deal with. But no, you created him. Now deal with it. And now they're pulling out all the stops, including weaponizing our what should be our most trusted gold standard public institutions against him while they go scot free it's just that's not right that is not right if donald trump broke the law he needs to pay the price but so does joe biden so does hillary clinton 
if you showed consistent application, you might get a few more people to be a little sympathetic to it. I don't like the fact that, that Donald Trump is running around with with detailed plans to attack Iran and flaunting that. I don't like that. I don't think presidents ought to be able to do that. I don't care about the Presidential Records Act. I, I care about national security. I care about what's just logical, common sense. Now, that being said, the law needs to be applied appropriately. If that's not against the law, well, then you can't convict him. It's, it's just unbelievable. And in the entire indictment, Rhino, there are 37 counts, as you know. You know they don't even mention Presidential Records Act, which is a statute. But they point to the Espionage Act. I don't think he committed espionage. Now, what he did may have been inappropriate, but but the question is, did he commit espionage? I don't know about that. I'm not buying that. But they're bound and determined to... It's one of those things where you find the person, I'll find the crime sort of deal. That's exactly what's going on. But I respect Vivek Ramaswamy. If you hadn't heard, folks, about an hour ago, he announced that his campaign has filed a, a records request he wants to know, what did Biden tell Merrick Garland? What did what did Merrick Garland tell the prosecutor, Smith? He wants to know. I agree. Because the media won't ask those questions. So he called out the media. You're not curious. You're not doing your job. They won't even entertain the idea that Merrick Garland might have a bone to pick for getting passed over for a Supreme Court seat. That's true. They won't even pay attention to the fact that the prosecutor, Jack Smith, is one of the few people... To have a case that's been seen by the Supreme Court and got shot down nine nil. That's right. They all have. He access got Alito and Ginsburg to agree that he was wrong. <laughs> they have personal access to grind. There's no doubt. Their deep disdain and contempt contempt for this one person is reprehensible. That is not the way our government is supposed to work. You may not like the guy, you may not agree with him, but you do not have the right, nor the power. You should not have the power to weaponize the FBI, the Department of Justice, law enforcement in general, the legal system, against your foe, your most ardent, your most powerful foe. That's not right. That is absolutely not right. While you go scot-free, and, and as you've described, Hillary Clinton... She flaunts it. Oh, yeah, look at me. How about them emails? I got away with using my private server in my bathroom to, to store confidential classified information. Which that classified information wound up on one of her staffer's disgraced husband's laptops. Unbelievable. Yeah, that was uh, Wiener. Yeah. Coming right back with more in the Element Well Studios final segment, and then Ronna McDaniel at twelve twenty after the break at the top of the hour. Stay with us. You know what that means? Middays with Gerard Gibbert. We'll do it live on Super Talk Mississippi.
harkens back to the old MTV days when it was really music television, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think one of the best that I always enjoyed back in the early days of MTV, I think it was like 1983 or something, was Rio by Duran Duran. Like, they're out on a, a boat. Remember that? On the ocean. Is that the same one where they had the, the model? Yeah, on the painted boat. up like a cat? Oh, no, I don't know about that. The, the model, as I recall, was on the deck of the boat. They're just cruising around at a fairly high speed. I think oh, yeah. it's a sailboat, if I'm not mistaken. One of those, like, racing schooners, whatever. What's that? The kind of... Clipper? Clipper, yeah. That kind of deal. And the whole band's out there, and they're singing the song like, I don't know what this has to do with the song, <laughs> but it was pretty cool, though, I thought, the uh, the image. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was that was one of the joys of 80s MTV and, and somewhat early 90s MTV was the willingness to take risks, the creativity that you could see on display. I mean, yeah, Take On Me by AHA isn't just a gangbuster, world-beater, 10 out of 10 song. But the sketchy art style of that music video is something that'll be remembered forever. I agree. And sort of tells a story about oh, yeah. a couple, right, evolving in their relationship, and the, the, uh, one of the band members featured in the, in the sketch, right, kind of evolves. And some cool. of the creativity, it wasn't always a winner. I mean... Whip It by Devo with those weird red hats and the black bodysuits. That's a memory, but you don't really look back on that and go, yeah, they had it figured out. <laughs> that just fit the time, the punk rock era, though, with the, the upside-down planners is what they look like. <laughs> that was pretty cool. Let's be honest with the facts here, Gerard, says Kelso in Ocean Springs. Hillary was investigated by the FBI DOJ, and there wasn't enough evidence to indict. Don't you think Trump would have had her indicted in a heartbeat if he could have during his term? But he didn't. Same with the Bidens. This has been a story, in quotes, uh, for years, including under Trump's watch. Why hasn't anyone been indicted? And lastly, there currently uh, there is currently a Trump-appointed special counsel investigating Joe Biden's garage, so it's not as lopsided as some would like to think. Well, that's a lot there to unpack, Kel. So appreciate the uh, the text on the ceasefire text line. Uh, a couple of things I would I would just invite you to to consider is that it was FBI Director James Comey that decided not to invite. He did refer to Clinton's behavior handling of classified information is, quote, extremely careless, remember that, in using a private email server and address to transmit and receive confidential information, which, by the way, happened to be stored in a non-confidential, non-secure area. But we now know that Comey is a political hack to the nth degree who big-time wanted Hillary Clinton to be elected. I mean, like, lost sleep over it. I may be exaggerating a bit there, but he was pretty upset when she did. So I don't have a high degree of confidence that that was a totally objective decision. So that's the first thing I would say. Especially considering that the information about the Bidens and Burisma comes from the FBI. Right. 
They've had this information. They've been sitting on their hands. So that's the other thing, Kelso, I would say, is that, uh, again, Joe Biden, his records being stored at his, in his garage uh, are not subject to the protections of the Presidential Records Act because he wasn't the president, nor was Hillary Clinton. Uh, what I'm saying is, if the beef here is that Trump had, as the former president, classified documents, which he declassified most of, at his residence in Florida, if that's the big crime, well, then Hillary and Joe committed equal crimes. That's the point I'm trying to make. But what's missing, uh, Kelso, with all due respect, is uh, what Rhino just brought about, what's missing in your, your text, and your response, is that there's nothing with respect to Burisma. You can't find a word about it from the mainstream media. They don't act like it's just not even a thing. So besides the, the records, what I think about the records deal, honestly, is that, I, again, I don't want classified records anywhere but in the most secure locations that our government can provide. I don't want them in folks' garage. I don't want them at Mar-a-Lago. I don't want any of that. Now, to the extent those are crimes that are punishable by, in Trump's case... If he's convicted, it would be likely terminal. It's 10 to 20 years minimum, I think, sentencing for such crimes. I think that's over the top, and it's ridiculous, but I think it's got to be, those laws have to be consistently applied. Bribe, on the other hand, in the case of Joe Biden, that's a completely different subject because Trump's not accused of that. Stay tuned for Fox News, Super Talk News. We'll be right back. Ronna Mc... Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. We are back in the Element Well Studios, Hour 3 of Middays. We thank so much. Thank you so much for joining us today. Mo says, Kelso is the wrong one, not you, Gerard. Oh, wrong on Hillary, the former FBI director under Obama that said she did not mean to break the law. Kelso is the wrong one, not you, Gerard. I got you. Uh, that's from Mo's. CC in Sanatobia. I remember all the hot women in George Michael's videos. Who knew he was after the cameraman the whole time? <laughs> he did come out as being a gay man, but he was quite the talented artist. He did a uh, a great live performance of "Don't Let the Sun Go Down with Me" with Elton John. He cranked. That's a pretty good video. He cranked it up. Started the tune, and then when they got to somewhat into it, here comes Elton John. He introduced it. That was pretty cool. They're both very talented individuals. There's no doubt. The video Sledgehammer by Peter Gabriel was awesome. It was considered quite revolutionary. It really was. I agree. Stop motion. Yeah, that's Kirk from Columbus. That was... um, Considered very innovative, advanced technology at the time. Nothing today, but back then, given the tools that were available, 
No doubt about it. Kelly failed to mention the distinction of cell phones and bleach bit. I think he's talking about Kelso. This is Johnny in West Point. Of her hard drive, that's why there wasn't enough evidence to warrant an indictment. You know, I just say again, I don't think confidential, classified information, especially that which pertains to matters of um, national security, should be mishandled. I don't care who it is. I don't like the idea that they're, again, not, and they're all in digital form to start with. So this getting all upset about physical documents, let's be honest, all that stuff stored digitally, it started out. It's just printouts, if you will. Hard copy printouts of something that was created digitally with digital tools, and it's stored digitally somewhere. And that should be under the greatest of security, protected by the greatest and the strongest security systems available. No doubt about it. So maybe this all needs to be revisited. But the law's got to be applied consistently and fairly. That's what's at stake here. I'm simply making the point that what Joe Biden allegedly did, accepting financial inducement from a foreign company, is the most egregious offense, in my view, that a president could commit. And that's getting no attention, except from Republicans, like Grassley yesterday. And you have to give it to James Comer, House Oversight Committee chairman. I think he's done a pretty good job pursuing this thing, running it down as well. And he's not letting it die. But this is something been talked about a while, unlike the Trump Russia collusion narrative that was totally debunked and uh, with the special prosecutor recently it was shown to be and proven to be total horse hockey that's different this Burisma stuff it, it looks pretty credible honestly how else did a complete buffoon and a crackhead all rolled up into one with no experience in the industry Get that kind of job. Right, exactly. $600,000 a year board seat on a company, the board of a company, involved in an industry of which he has zero experience. No, that doesn't happen in the real world. The money for nothing video, dire straits. Yeah, that was a good one, too. A cartoon. Pretty cool. It was CGI. It was was the first CGI music video, and... It didn't age well, but it was cutting edge at the time. Yeah. I ran into the store and missed your response, says Kelso. My bad. Uh, I, just real briefly, Kelso, the, probably the most important point is I didn't see anything in your, in your text about the Burisma situation, that I think that's being totally overlooked, except for Republicans now in the Senate with Chuck Grassley making a speech on it yesterday. It was pretty damning. And, of course, over in the House, the House Oversight Committee, which is chaired by Representative James Comer from Kentucky, I think he's done a good job at that. But the media is silent. That's the point. The media is silent on this, saying nothing about it. 
Well, they're waiting for the Biden administration to gather up 50-plus intelligence officials to write a letter saying it's all Russian misinformation. Well, I respect Vivek Ramaswamy. We played his his sound from his press conference this morning in Miami, in front of the courthouse, where Trump is being arraigned, where he issued a challenge to every presidential candidate in all parties, including independents, issued a challenge to sign a letter where he is committed that he will pardon the president should he be convicted the first day he is elected to office. And he made the point, which I deeply respect, is, look, it'd be a much easier path for me to the White House if Trump dropped out. But I don't want that to happen because of the weaponization of the Department of Justice and the FBI against him by Joe Biden, essentially, by the Democrat Party, his most ardent foe. And they they know it, and they know that things don't look good for him. Senate that was given access to, I believe, the transcripts of the 17 alleged phone calls. They didn't tell the House anything about the audio. Totally agree. They have been intentionally stonewalling this deal. And it's because the FBI is a political body. And what they fear, by the way, I believe more than anything, and this is where I'll, ha- I'll give props to Trump, is that he would expose the nonsense. He would expose it. And they fear it. They know right now they got a pretty cushy gig. They can do whatever the heck they want with impunity. It's no different than all these other agencies um, in the government that come up with all these goofy rules and regulations that the Congress didn't authorize them to do, but they still do it with impunity. And you got to take them to court to stop it because they get out of their swim lane, which is why I believe where term limits are needed more than anywhere is in the agency complex. It's the bureaucrats that run these agencies. They're running the dang country. Not the president. Not and the fleecing Congress. the taxpayers doing it. No doubt about it. Speaking of the fleecing of the taxpayers, <laughs> I know we get focused a lot on where all the money goes in our government and doesn't go and so forth. But recent report shows that over $26 billion, $26 billion last year in refundable tax credits are considered improper after a, a deep investigation was conducted. We're talking about the earned income tax credits, the child tax credit. There are 21 refundable credits, 21. I can't name them all. I, I gave you the, the top ones, the earned income tax credit, the child tax credit. There's some tuition credits. But now it's been determined that last year $26 billion of those payments were improper. The people who receive that money. Refundable means whether you owe taxes or not, you even, you even tip the scales to have a tax liability. The government still sends you money still sends you money, refundable, meaning you don't apply it to a tax liability. You don't even have one. And if it's more than that, they send you the difference. It's essentially just welfare. It's what it is. $26 billion improper. Nobody says anything about it. We're stepping aside for a break in the Element Well Studios. When we return, it's Ronna McDaniel, chairwoman of the Republican National Committee. We'll be right back.
Thanks so awesome. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Come on, let's get on with the show. On Super Talk Mississippi. That would be the great Ray Charles bumping us into this segment here on Middays. We are in the Element Wealth Studios, and it is raining somewhat outside. You can hear it in the studio. I stepped outside, looked out the window, and it is torrents. (laughs) Joining us now, Ronna McDaniel, chairwoman of the Republican National Committee. Ronna, welcome to the program. Thanks for coming on. Great to be with you. I am also here in Mississippi, and I will confirm it is raining and (laughs) lots of thunder right now as well. Yeah, stay safe. So what brings you to Mississippi? I am here to campaign for your great governor, Kate Reeves. I'm such a huge fan of his. Coming from a state like Michigan where our kids were locked down and dealt with such major deficits coming out of the pandemic, and to see what Kate Reeves has done to increase scores for kids in reading and math. You guys went from 49th uh, in, in literacy now to 21st place. Uh, he's increased teacher pay. He's taking care of kids. And as a mom, that is near and dear to my heart, and we need to make sure we reelect him. Yeah, and you may have seen the article in the New York Times. We discussed it here on the program a couple of weeks ago. We now have the New York Times giving props uh, to the state of Mississippi, something we didn't think we'd see specifically uh, as it pertains to educational improvements and accomplishments. Uh, we, we actually read some of the uh, the excerpts from the article here on the program. Not sure if you caught that or not. We were shocked, pleasantly surprised that New York Times is holding up the state of Mississippi as a model for K-12 through education. Yeah, that's outstanding, and I think it's everybody in the country should be looking at your governor and Republican leadership, and we're we're actually saying what doing what we're saying. We're putting kids first. Yeah, and kids are gonna these kids are gonna stay in Mississippi. They're gonna help build businesses and innovate, and you're giving them the tools to success. And I'm coming from a state where governors Democrat a Democrat governor shut our kids down. Our kids are suffering. They're behind. And that's exactly what, you know, Presley would have done, his opponent, his Hollywood Democrat opponent who's trying to pretend like he would do the right thing, but he'd be in lockstep with the progressive Democrat Party. And families in Mississippi would suffer if he had been governor. We can't let that ever happen. Yeah, it is a concern, and, and we were discussing earlier on the program, Anna, the um, recent financial reports from the candidates, and much of Mr. Presley's campaign contributions come from some powerful organizations outside of our state that I think have an agenda and are in lockstep with the Democrats. I don't think we can believe that he would behave any differently than uh, than what they are acting like, certainly in Washington, should he be elected. Absolutely not. And we've seen this across the country. I've seen this for a long time as party chair. We see Democrats go into states like Mississippi or other states and say, I'm going to govern in the middle or I'm going to be a conservative Democrat. Don't buy it. 
they do whatever Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris tell them to do. That's who they are. And Presley is a Hollywood Democrat. He's bringing California to Mississippi. And let's look at California right now. California is a mess. They have a homeless crisis. They have a budget crisis. It is a state on the decline. And you have a state that's on the uptick that's doing incredible things. So why would you ever replace that leadership? And it goes back to the kids for me as a mom. What you've seen with the literacy rates going from from 49th to 21st in less than four years, that is remarkable, and that's what Tate Reeves has done, and that's that's a great governor. And you probably saw Governor Gavin Newsom of California recently taking some shots at our governor with respect to gun control, and our governor, Tate Reeves, challenged him to a debate on the matter. Can he worry about his own state? He's got disasters all around him. <laughs> I know. I, I would love to see that debate, though. Yeah, why doesn't he worry about his own state? which is suffering, which people are fleeing. Uh, and, and, you know, why do you want to take away people's Second Amendment rights? Of course, Democrats are always about taking rights. How about we make sure that that bad people uh, with mental health issues that are, that are drug addicted are not able to get weapons? And when you see the drug problems we have in this country, it's coming from our southern border, which the Democrats have left wide open. Over 100,000 people died from fentanyl or opioid-related deaths. And the Democrats don't care. They don't care. And this is why we need Republican leadership. Republican governors have led the way to the economic recovery in this country. And they are also the ones putting our kids and our families first. Absolutely. So let's turn our attention uh, to politics from a yeah. an election perspective. We've got the national elections coming up, uh, of course, in 2024. Last week, uh, the committee announced the Bank Your Vote campaign. Tell us about that. Yeah, so Bank Your Vote is a campaign to get voters engaged in states where they have Massive early voting weeks and weeks before the election. They have laws like ballot harvesting. These do not apply in your state of Mississippi. Right. But Democrats are using these long windows of early voting and ballot harvesting to build big head starts before Election Day. And we need to encourage Republicans to bank their vote. We're going to have a website. Uh, We also need to assure them that we're going to protect their vote by having a massive uh, organization of poll watchers, poll workers, and lawyers on the ground all the way through that early voting period, but we can't walk into Election Day and think we're going to make up everything yeah. in one day when Democrats are using 45, in some case, 50 days of voting. So this is the Bank Your Vote program. The RNC launched it. We're doing it with uh, House members like Byron Donalds and Richard Hudson and, and uh, Senator Haggerty and Senator Gaines, and we're going to get everybody on the same page because we we have to take the laws as they're given to us. We may not like the laws. We're going to keep fighting bad laws. But if Democrats are doing it, we've got to do it, too. Yeah. You know, there's so much talk and concern post-2020 election, Rana, about the use of ballot harvesting by Democrats to, to win, especially in the four or five key swing states. Are Republicans going to go at it with a a similar response? Are they going to employ these same techniques and tactics to harvest ballots where legal? If you look at Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, for example, which are big-time swing states, 
yeah. you've got different rules, of course. They all allow early voting, ballot harvesting, but uh, but Pennsylvania, for example, s- says that anybody can do it on behalf of the voter, but it has to be somebody chosen by the voter, for example. What's our response yeah, going to be mean, here? Yeah, we're doing it. I mean, in California... People forget that in 2020, the Republicans picked up four House seats. It's yeah. probably the most prolific ballot harvesting state. And we took four Democrat seats away in 2020, and we took a fifth away in 2022. We're absolutely doing ballot harvesting, we're, we're, and we're doing it better than them. And we did it better than them in, uh, in, in Montana. Now, we have an issue a lot. And just think about this logically. A lot of Republicans, we won't give our ballot to a stranger. Yeah. We believe in chain of custody. So in California, we're doing it through the churches. Uh, Montana, it's a culture of mail-in voting. Hmm. Uh, but some of these states, we're going to have to educate voters and really work with them to assure them that we're going to protect their ballot if we take it early. But uh, we have to do it. Pennsylvania is a great state to, uh, example of this. You know, they get a huge advantage in mail-in voting and then they don't have early voting in person there. Right. And in a lot of states, that's where we make up the gap. People are willing to go vote early in person, but Pennsylvania doesn't have that. So we need people to vote by mail and allow ballot harvesting among family members and friends, and, and that's why this investment and this program is so critical right now. Yeah, and you've got a state like Wisconsin that certainly could go either way. Of course, Trump won it yep. in 16, and it un, it doesn't specify. Their laws don't specify who can actually take a ballot on behalf of a voter. Yep, and so the Democrats, well, you know they're always going to do it, right? So, you know, but we, we, we are doing it, too. It is harder for us. So in some ways, we're going to have to use data and just get our voters out to vote. They may not let you take their ballot. We're going to continue to work at that. Um, Democrats are better at that. They use the unions, and they they go ballot harvest. But our voters are much less likely to hand their ballot over to a stranger. But we've got other ways that we can beat them, um, and that's what we're going to focus on. But banking your vote is critical, getting those big totals up before Election Day so that on Election Day we can use our resources to find those independents or low propensity voters that we can continue to turn out. And that's something, I believe, Ronna, if you look at all these swing states, the early voting uh, was quite high for the Democrats and not very good for Republicans. They, they absolutely just dominated in that category, and I think that played a, a big role in the outcome. I do. In some states, I mean, Nevada, we won three statewide. I will say one thing that's not talked about in 2022 is Republicans actually won yep. the popular vote. We turned out 4 million more Republicans, and in every single battleground state, except Pennsylvania, a Republican won statewide. We actually would have won the Electoral College based on 2022. We were the top vote-getter in Arizona, New Hampshire, and Georgia. So the path is there. The infrastructure was there for success. But we have to continue to educate. Democrats are always investing in process. They don't wait till the primaries are done. And sometimes our voters say, oh, I want to see who the candidate is. We can't afford that to gotcha. do that anymore. We have to invest in the process. We got to go year round. Appreciate it, Rob. We interrupt this program. Gerard Gibbert. Here we go. This is huge, huge, huge news. Huge, huge, huge news. Huge. You need to listen to this. Middays with Gerard. Super Talk, Mississippi. What I want, you've got to handle, like a flame 
votes. We are back in the Element Well Studios. Are you thinking about or planning for retirement? Do you have a plan? Go to myelementwealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. So, appreciate uh, Ms. McDaniel for coming on the program. And it sounds like the Republican Party is... Uh, Getting on with the program to, I guess, play the same game the Democrats do with this ballot harvesting stuff, perfectly legal in a number of states. It is fascinating, though, to see how the the various states' laws allow for who can return a voter's ballot. Someone chosen by the voter is available in, I think, 24 states, including our neighboring Louisiana and Arkansas. Someone chosen by the voter. Specific people, that uh, rule, it, it may return the ballot, that rule applies to 14 states, and that includes the state of Mississippi. Family member, in general. So you think about those who were shut in, infirmed, this is really where this applies. They're just unable to get to the polls. They're just not mobile. Can't do it. They're people like that. They deserve a voice. They deserve to vote. Now, organizing groups, I guess, to just comb through neighborhoods and nursing homes and so forth, to try to get your hands on those ballots. In some cases, perhaps, they haven't been completed. It would be hard for me to believe, though, that the voter would just say, here, fill it out for me. I guess it's possible. Anything's possible. I don't discount that. Rule that out. That would seem unusual. The bigger, I think, concern would be somebody just gets access to a large chunk of ballots, valid ballots, paper ballots, absentee ballots, that um, they then complete themselves. But the way the system works, the systems in the various states, that would almost require, it would seem, some collusion with the folks responsible for managing, administering absentee ballots. So I know in Mississippi, it's a fairly involved process, and we're, we're different than some states, but I like 13 others in this respect, where you can request an absentee ballot, or you can do it in person. Some states don't allow absentee voting in person. I think that's what Rana just said, as a matter of fact. In Mississippi, you can. I've done it, where I, I'm scheduled to be out of town for prior commitments on Election Day, and I've gone to the county office and voted absentee. It's, I believe it's notarized when you do that, have to sign. And you sign, it seems like you sign the ballot, the envelope across the back of the envelope. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. Where it's on both so that the envelope shows to match up there. 
And that's the way it works. And there's supposed to be signature verification on all absentee ballots, I think, in all the states. And sometimes that's electronic. Sometimes it's it's just eyeball. Um, I did do some research on Pennsylvania is why I asked Ron about that. And it is true that the absentee ballots in Pennsylvania overwhelmingly early voting, I should say, not absentee, but early voting, in favor of, of Democrats because they seem to be, as, as Ronna said, more more comfortable with that. And Republicans, I think, are more moved to vote in person on Election Day at the ballot box. And that's all interesting dynamics. But I'm glad to see the Republican Party appears to be taking action. The, the real question is, can we get the control needed to in the various states and maybe even at the federal level to really clamp down on absentee and mail-in voting when it opens the door for fraud, where it's easy to break the chain of custody, where it's easy to just insert a ballot uh, among all the others that is counted, but that ballot is not valid. There's something that it just just invalidates it. Maybe because it was filled out by a person other than the voter, it was duplicated, it uh, all sorts of other issues as well that could arise with that because of lax controls and chain of custody. So, and I think that's what Ron said is that we'd have to address that, but we got to get to the position where we can from a control perspective. But in the meantime, we got to play the game. I think that was that was their message, and that's part of the of the new program, the Bank Your Boat program. So, hopefully, that will pay uh, dividends. I mean, look at it like this: the, the game of football did not come with the rule for the forward pass. That was an innovation after people had been playing the game for decades. At that point, yeah. It would be really tough to win a football game nowadays without a forward pass. That's right. Yeah. So you can just say, well, I'm not playing that game, right? And get your butt beat. Right. Yeah. Good point. Good analogy. Totally agree. The uh, The situation in Pennsylvania is one that's just intriguing to me. And uh, when I looked at, if I could find it here, when I looked at the vote outcomes, in 2016, Trump beat Hillary Clinton, who I believe is the worst candidate for president ever, he beat her by 34,000 votes. Pardon me, 44,000 votes, 48.2% to 47.5%. And then there was a few for Libertarian, Johnson, and uh, some independent candidates. They, They garnered, oh, looks like, about 5% of the total vote. So, and then you look at the 2020 results. 50% for Biden, 48.8% for Trump. A difference of, uh, let's see, 21,000 votes. It's incredible. Oh, it's a little bit more than that. I'm pardon me. There's another number in front of that. So, 
71,000 votes. So you had so let's let's recap that. So you had Trump defeating Clinton by 44,000 votes in 16 and Biden defeated Trump uh, by 71,000 votes. Now, here's what's really sticks out to you though is that over 7 million, about 7.2 million votes were cast in the 2020 election. And in the, in the 2016 election, it was right at around 6.2 million. So a whole lot more votes, and that's because of the expanded early voting, mail-in voting, et cetera, in the state. Of Pennsylvania, but that's a that's a key state. But if you look at the county map, I looked at that the vote outcomes by county in Pennsylvania. They were all the same in sixteen as they were in twenty, except for one, and that's Erie County, Erie County, Pennsylvania. And the difference there was like two thousand votes. It swung from two thousand one way to two thousand another way, very very close. And it's not a very big county. It's up in the up in the northwest corner. But if you look at the big blue counties, they all pretty much went the same. You look at the big red counties, they all pretty much went the same. It's just interesting to analyze the outcomes. I picked Pennsylvania because it's it has uh, risen to the level of being a key swing state. And I, I still remember, I think it was the first one called on election night in 16 that, that uh, sent the... the um, the MSNBC and the CNN commentators who were covering the election, it's like a pall was draped across the studio when they had to call Pennsylvania for Trump in 16. It's just fascinating to look at those dynamics. But we're taking a break right here on Middays. The final segment is next. I'm going to provide you a little insight into how leftists think about economic and tax policy in this country when we return. It's from a post by Robert Reich. Stay with us. Going beyond the headlines, breaking down the stories that matter to Mississippi. Middays with Gerard on Super Talk Mississippi. That's a little karate kid. <laughs> Get him, Daniel. <laughs> okay, so I I told you before we went to break we would uh, discuss old Robert Wright. This was from a few days ago, June the eighth. 
The richest 1% accumulated nearly twice as much wealth as the rest of the world put together over the past two years. It's not radical to tax the rich. It's radical to allow this level of extreme wealth concentration to continue. Okay, so you know he's a left-wing loon communist that wants to confiscate wealth, and he's, he's a person right now I just feel like is unhappy with his life. You know what I mean? Most liberals are. I think so. They, they sulk all the time. They mire in depression. And so what's instructive, folks, and I don't know if you guys do this, so I, I'll, I follow the guy. I want to hear what he has to say. I don't agree with anything. I don't know that I've ever seen him make a statement on social media that I agreed with. But when you look at the comments and really dive into the thread, I think it tells you a lot about the sentiments of people A lot of people in this country. And this is what we're up against and how we're so deeply divided. But this is is the the comment from a person that that agrees with, believes what Reich's saying. If you really look at it, they should be paying the lion's share of the taxes. They did not accumulate all their wealth without government tax breaks and the hard work of the employees they took advantage of over the years. They can also put a healthy dent into the national debt. Without the country's economy, they would have nothing. They should remember that. And that gets 281 hearts. That's how people think in this country. And Ignorance is bliss. And everything's wrong about that, right? Everything she said. The top 1%, we've already told you, pay 42% of the income taxes. The top 50% of the households shouldered 97.5% of the tax bill in this country last year. And the bottom 50% paid 2.5%. As our America become an oligarchy, another comment reads, the rich create super PACs, literally buying the politicians. Vote blue. Another says... Like and yet, there aren't blue super PACs? Exactly. <laughs> Give me a break. I use the angry emoji because the fact the rich aren't getting fairly taxed and the rest of us are expected to pick up the slack is just wrong. <laughs> So we're past the point of hashtag activism. Now we have emoji activism. I use the angry face. Take me seriously. (laughs) Oh, gosh. It's also not radical to expect the uber-wealthy to contribute to the success of the American empire through fostering our education system, infrastructure, and the like. The rich like the American dollar, but they don't like the responsibilities that having a strong U.S. dollar entails. I just love the use of the word Uber. (laughs) Uber. Uh, It's immoral to have billionaires while millions starve and their homelessness abounds. Aren't there something like 700 billionaires in the U.S. now? I don't know why or how the concept of sharing wealth has become so demonized. But for some folks to hoard their wealth while others struggle is baffling to me. Shouldn't we care more about society as a whole? I don't even know where to start with these idiots. They're so misguided. First, they got their facts, what they think are facts, completely wrong. Completely wrong. But when they say stuff like that, it's immoral. It's immoral. You know, these billionaires, they've not produced anything positive for society. And here's what's crazy. She's using this platform to spout this crap. Does she realize exactly how many billionaires there are 
or super rich people behind the creation of all that technology that enables you to do that? That's what the, that's where hypocrisy just knows no bounds. You're okay with using their tools, but you just don't want them to make any money off of it. And by the way, last time I checked, it's freaking free. It don't cost you anything for you to go out that out there and spout that nonsense. Free. Get off your butt. Go to work. Go do something. Be somebody. Make a contribution. Nobody's holding you back. But that requires actual effort. You can tell how much effort they want to put into their beliefs when they're using emojis to show their emotions. <laughs> Take me seriously. Angry emoji activism. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Fair taxation is only fair when taxes are paid fairly. So they're 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 on board with the fair tax? I mean, we could go down that road. They don't even know what the hell that means. No. You know what? I've said it before. I'll say it again. I wish I only paid my fair share. I'm all for my fair share. I'm not complaining about it. I'm just telling you, you don't understand what the hell fair is, people. You don't under, you can't describe it. You can't explain it. You know you can't do the math. They're like lost on that. We're out of here today. We're at Mississippi Blood Services tomorrow. Take care, everyone. Until then, stay safe and God bless. A Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.